If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On the 30th of April, 1945, as the Third Reich collapsed around him, Adolf Hitler put a gun to his head and fired. The life of history's most notorious ruler had come to an end. Or had it? What if in fact Hitler hadn't killed himself, but instead been spirited out of Germany to begin a new life with a new identity in South America? Welcome to Conspiracy, a new podcast series from History Extra, exploring some of history's most popular and persistent conspiracy theories. I'm Rob Attar, And in this first episode, we're going to be investigating the theory that Hitler escaped from the ruins of the Reich in April 1945. How did this conspiracy theory begin? Why do people believe in it? And how does the evidence stack up against it? To answer these questions, I spoke to Professor Richard J. Evans, one of the world's leading experts on Nazi Germany, and the author of The Hitler Conspiracies, The Third Reich and the Paranoid Imagination. Richard, as a historian, could you explain to our listeners how Hitler really met his end in April 1945? Yes, Hitler knew that he'd lost the war. The Russians were had invaded Berlin. The Allies were coming in from the West. And it was the 30th of April 1945. And time had run out. The Soviet army, the Red Army was... Above him, he was in the bunker. It was only a matter of hours before it came in. And he had many times said he was going to commit suicide. So in the bunker, the air raid bunker, deep below the Reich Chancellery Garden, he married Eva Brown, his longtime partner. And they retreated to a room where he shot himself in the right temple and she took poison. Following the plan, two orderlies came in, they took his body, the the two bodies up to the garden, the Reich Chancery Garden, and they had stockpiled some petrol, doused the bodies very thoroughly in petrol, and set them alight. And almost nothing was left of them apart from teeth, which were then identified by a dental technician who'd worked for Hitler's dentist by the bridges and fillings and so on. How do we know all of this? What, What are our main sources of evidence for Hitler's death? The main sources of evidence were, of course, the adjutants and the assistants who were with him in the bunker, who saw the bodies, the ones in particular who took the bodies upstairs and burnt them in the garden. They were both captured by the Red Army, and the Red Army compiled a report based partly on their their evidence. Uh, And uh, unfortunately, because this report didn't conform to Stalin's views, uh, it was held secret until the fall of the Soviet Union in 1990, 
we know from other people in the bunker. We know from people who spoke to Hugh Trevor Roper, who was sent, historian, who was sent by British intelligence to investigate the circumstances of Hitler's death immediately after the war. And we also know from a very thorough report compiled by legal authorities in Bavaria because they had to issue a a death certificate in the mid-1950s in order to establish a legal basis for the return of some looted art that Hitler had in his possession. So there are really three serious investigations, the Red Army, the Trevor Roper, and the Bavarian court. Uh, And they were based on a lot of interviews, on his last will and testament, and from forensic examination of Hitler's jawbone, it's all left of him. And you said earlier that Stalin wasn't, wasn't happy with the initial report. What was his concern with it? Well, he decided he wanted to sow confusion amongst the Western allies uh, about Hitler's death. So he started to hint that, very strongly, that Hitler had survived. Uh, this is incidentally not what the initial Red Army uh, report said immediately after Hitler's death, but that was then suppressed. Hitler was dead, but Stalin wanted to suggest he might still be alive in case the Western Allies then said, all right, we're not going to occupy Germany in a serious way. You know, there's no danger of Hitler coming back. Uh, And of course, everyone was thinking historically, interestingly, about Napoleon, who was exiled to the island of Elba in the Mediterranean and did come back on the 100 days ending of the Battle of Waterloo. And nobody wanted that to happen with, with Hitler So, in fact, the Western and and Red Army occupation was extremely tough, comprehensive, overwhelming. There's no possibility of Hitler coming back, even had he been alive. So, therefore, is the source of the modern-day conspiracy theory actually Stalin? Is that where it goes back to? Yeah, quite a lot goes back to Stalin, actually. But that is one source. Uh, And then, of course, immediately after the war, again, there were all kinds of reports from all over the world that Hitler had been seen somewhere. Uh, There was even an unfortunate German who was interviewed many times by the police because he just rather looked like Hitler. But he said, I'm fed up with being taken for him. I'm not the same chap. When they leave me alone, there were some doctored photographs that were presented as being uh, of of Hitler. That's clear they weren't. And some American sensationalist newspapers of the sort you can see being sold on the streets in New York nowadays that conveyed reports that Hitler had been seen in Argentina or in Indonesia or in a cafe in Austria and all kinds of places. The main conspiracy theory alleged that Hitler had escaped in some versions with Eva Braun and with his uh, sort of sidekick, Martin Bormann, who in fact had died when he'd escaped from the bunker, proved by DNA analysis many years later, uh, that they went to Argentina by submarine or by plane and The CIA had to investigate any reports sent to them, but they concluded unambiguously that all these reports were phony and false. Now, as listeners are probably aware, there were quite a few senior Nazis who did actually end up in South America. If Hitler had survived, how plausible was it that he could have made that kind of escape, obviously being a much more well-known figure? Yeah, not, not really plausible at all. There were some escape routes used not by the top Nazis because they had all committed suicide or been arrested and were tried at Nuremberg, but some sort of middle-ranking ones. Adolf Eichmann is probably the best known. He was the man who was in overall charge of implementing the the so-called final solution of rounding up 
Jews in occupied countries, for example. Uh, Josef Mengele, the head doctor at Auschwitz, he managed to escape and find his way to Latin America. It's very interesting that uh, Eichmann uh, had a number of discussions with some other Nazis who'd escaped to Buenos Aires, uh, and these discussions were recorded. They the, they were um, written down, and what they talked about was the possibility of a comeback, of going back to Germany and starting up Nazism again. Complete and total fantasy. What's really interesting that is that none of them mentioned Hitler. They all knew that Hitler was dead. If he'd been in Argentina, they would have said something about it. There are many, many fantastic. Uh, extraordinary, ridiculous theories about Hitler. For example, that he was substituted in the bunker sometime before the end by a double, uh, and Eva Brown and a double, and even his dog, Blondie, by a double. But the secretaries who were there with him until the end said, that's absurd. Uh, we would know if it wasn't the same man. Uh, uh, there's many other kinds of uh, fantasies spun by conspiracy theorists. I think what motivates them is mostly an admiration for Hitler, uh, feeling that he'd fooled the Allies so many times, he must have fooled them again. He couldn't possibly have died such a great man as he was by shooting himself in a squalid suicide pact with Eva Brown uh, underneath the ground in a sort of hole in the ground in the bunker. Uh, he must have escaped. But Eva Brown was a, a professional photographer and she has lots of photographs and lots of uh, home movies that she made uh, of Hitler and his circle from before the war and during the war. Uh, not a single thing after the war. Not one shot, not one, uh, not one photograph. And, and that's, I think, a very telling piece of evidence. And also Hitler was a political figure to the very core. He would have been like Eichmann uh, and his friends. He would have been plotting a comeback of some sort. He would not, as the conspiracy theorists like to suggest, he would not have sat there in quiet retirement, just sort of enjoying uh, cups of tea and cake. So that's also very, very unlikely, I think. No, it's impossible. I mean, I don't want to, I want to put it really strong, more strongly than that. Absolutely, absolutely impossible. Based on what you were saying earlier, you say that some of this comes from an admiration of Adolf Hitler. So is there quite a crossover between this conspiracy theory and neo-Nazism? There is, yes. But also some people who have this conspiracy theory somehow think he, he should have been brought to justice. It was, uh, uh, there might still be a possibility in the 1950s or even 60s of tracking him down. After all, Adolf Eichmann was tracked down by a German prosecutor and then followed up by Mossad and Israeli intelligence, kidnapped in Buenos Aires and taken back and put on trial in Jerusalem. Mengele was traced, but he died in an accident uh, in Brazil. Stangl, the commandant of the Treblinka death camp, he was tracked down and brought back from Latin America. So it's a kind of wish fulfillment. On that note, how did, would the conspiracy theorists respond to the idea that had Hitler been alive, surely there would have been many people out to get him? I don't think they mentioned that. I've looked at many conspiracy theorists and they they don't. They They just... Usually, you see, this is all hearsay. So they interview people and one says, oh, yes, well, my grandmother knew somebody who said she'd seen a man who looked like Hitler. Uh, or there's even one who's interviewed on a programme called Hunting Hitler, which is based on the premise that Hitler was uh, survived the bunker. They interviewed this old lady, so, yes, well, I worked in this house uh, owned by a German, 
And uh, this mysterious man came and stayed in the house. And I was told that uh, he, he was Hitler. I had to leave. I wasn't allowed to see him. I had to leave meals outside his door, the door of his room. And they were typical German meals, you know, Wiener schnitzel and Wurst and sausages and so on. Of course, Hitler was a, a, an uncompromising vegetarian. So that's already falsified by that, that claim. And every time you look at these claims that Hitler had been seen by somebody, they turn out to be bogus, secondhand, or mostly hearsay. There's no direct corroborated evidence at all. Now, as we were discussing at the start, it was the Soviets and the Red Army who first found Hitler. Do you think some of these conspiracy theories emerge from the Cold War mindset and a distrust of the Soviet Union? Well, as I said, the Soviet Union, Stalin in particular, personally, was the one who, first of all, spun out the conspiracy theory that Hitler had survived. Uh, I don't think there's an anti-Soviet bias to other conspiracy theories. It's not really particularly the recent ones. There have been many, many recent conspiracy theorists published its books, a 24-part TV series, radio programs, uh, all kinds of material. That, that's really post-Cold War, so I don't think it plays an important role. And as a historian, how frustrating is it to see that these theories keep being trotted out again, you know, and, and you know, major TV series and things like that are made about them? That must be difficult when historians are trying really hard to establish the truth of what happened. But it is, it is, Rob. It's, it's an attack on the integrity and independence of the historical profession. You always find conspiracy theorists, no matter what the conspiracy they're theorising about, use the phrase the official version as if all historians, people like me, are not independent, uh, don't have our own minds, can't do our own research. We simply accept what is handed over by, well, some mysterious officialdom, whether it's a government or quite often if you poke it, you'll find uh, hidden behind this ver- this idea of the official version, you'll find the Jewish media because there's a lot of anti-Semitism in, uh, in some of these conspiracy theories. And it's basically saying everybody has always got it wrong. We are always, we're just duped into believing that Hitler died. And in fact, we know he didn't. And that is one of the attractions of conspiracy theorizing. It bolsters the ego of the conspiracy theorists. They are saying everybody who's ever written about this is wrong. I alone know the truth. I know what happened. Uh, And as therefore, I'm more intelligent than the uh, historians or the journalists or investigators who've looked at this before. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, 
the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, you've actually written a book fairly recently examining multiple conspiracy theories surrounding the Third Reich. Why do you think this period is so ripe for this kind of speculation? It has a perennial fascination for people, I think because it represents in what is now increasingly a secular age, a kind of substitute for Satan or the devil. It's a kind of picture of ultimate evil and particularly Hitler. There's something called Godwin's Law, which was propagated by an American writer that says that every internet discussion and any debate on the internet or on social media eventually ends up by mentioning Hitler. Uh, um, he is this sort of icon of, of, of evil. You'll find that some groups that are propagating what I call alternative knowledge, UFOs, that is, you know, flight sources, alien invasions and so on, or occultists, uh, people who believe that occult powers are at work shaping the world, uh, and a number of others will include Hitler in their internet posts, in their social media posts, in their books and programs, because that generates interest in what they've got to say. There was um, a a German-Canadian anti-Semite and Holocaust denier called Ernst Zundler, who uh, spun out theories about Hitler surviving uh, in a hidden base underneath the Antarctic. And so that would get him invited onto TV programs. And he said quite openly, after five minutes, I can then get on to what I really want to say, which is Holocaust denial. Uh, so it's 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 attractive in that sense. Hitler's probably the most recognisable figure in history anywhere all over the world. So it's it's natural for these alternative knowledge groups to to reach out to him to publicise their work. And actually, the Nazis themselves weren't averse to a bit of conspiratorial thinking. I mean, the obvious one being this idea of there being a Jewish conspiracy, but there were others too, weren't there? Yeah, you can say there's two kinds of conspiracy theory. One is systemic which is to say that a group like the Jews or the Freemasons or the Illuminati have been at work uh, for hundreds of years all over the world in a general conspiracy to overturn Western values, Christianity, uh, civilization, whatever it might be. And then there's the event conspiracy theory where around an event like 9-11 or the uh, assassination of President Kennedy in the USA, the, the, the conspiracy theory says, no, it's, it, it's not as, as generally accepted. It's some hidden, malign group behind the scenes who is steering it all from behind the scenes. So this kind of systemic conspiracy theory is much less common, uh, much more much more general, of course. And the, the Nazis believed implicitly that there was the Jews by their very nature, by the heredity, were undermining civilization. So there wasn't a kind of um, conspiracy uh, hatched in a room by people plotting something, that kind of much more common event conspiracy theory says that everything, pretty well everything that happens in history, is the result of a group, usually a small group of people, plotting in secret to make it happen. And conversely, everything happens because somebody's plotted it. Chance and circumstance is ruled out. 
uh, in the mind of the conspiracy theorist. And the Nazis were not conspiracy theorists on the whole in that way. If you look at Stalin, he was constantly dreaming up imaginary conspiracies, arresting people, including most of his top-ranked supporters like Bukharin or Zinoviev, and putting them on trial for having engaged in a conspiracy to undermine the Soviet Union or destroy him, whatever it might be. Hitler wasn't like that. Stalin came up out of a kind of group of equals at the top of the Soviet, the Bolshevik Party, the Communist Party, after Lenin's death. And so he was constantly terrified that his other top Soviet officials would be plotting against him. Hitler, from the very beginning, was the focus of massive adulation by his followers, even by the top ones like Goering, Goebbels, Himmler, and so on. They all had huge faith in him. They, they were not a threat. The only threat was Ernst Röhm, 1934, killed in the Night of the Long Knives. So that's the result of really pressure from the army, who piled on the pressure onto Hitler to uh, rid himself of Röhm, because the brown shirts, who had four million strong, uh, were threatening to replace the army with a kind of Nazi militia. But Hitler was not a conspiracy theorist in the way that Stalin was. Coming back to Hitler and this conspiracy theory we've been discussing, what would you say is the single most compelling either piece of evidence or argument against the idea that he somehow survived and escaped South America? The most compelling piece of evidence or pieces of evidence are the testimonies of people who were with him in the bunker, saw him, saw the bodies, uh, heard him say in advance he was going to commit suicide. Heinz Linger, his valet, Otto Günscher, uh, various others. That's really, really compelling because you've got to believe that dozens of people were deliberately lying uh, and uh, concealing this and right to the end of their lives, which in some cases were, were very long, when there was long since no reason uh, to carry on lying like that. And, and actually on that point, it doesn't really seem to fit in with Hitler's personality, this idea of trying to survive and escape. That doesn't really fit in with you know, how he conducted the war or anything else about his political trajectory, really. Uh, Hitler always said, uh, I'm a gambler, he used to say. It's all or nothing. I always go for broke. And so it was either total triumph or total defeat. And in the end, he had to admit it was total defeat. OK, Richard, thank you. That's been really, really interesting. Is there anything important that I haven't asked you about at all? Well, I think what's, it is important to discuss very briefly why we have so many conspiracy theorists nowadays, why there are many more than there used to be. Do you have a take on that, an argument for why it does seem to have grown so much in recent years? All the people who work on conspiracy theorists and theories agree that there's been a massive increase in the number and spread of conspiracy theories really in the new century, in the 21st century. I think a large part of this has got to do with the internet and with social media because they're not censored. The gatekeepers of opinion expression, newspaper editors, radio and TV producers and the like, have now been sidelined by the uncensored, uncontrolled internet. You can put out whatever views you like so long as they are not uh, illegal, as long as they don't amount to hate crime. And also, when you use social media or you visit the world of the internet, you can see that there are people who think like you do. You just have to Google Hitler conspiracy theories and you can see you're not on your own, whereas previously people were. So I think those uh, are part of the equation. We're also in a society, in a culture where truth 
has now much more doubtful. People doubt the truth. People don't even think you can find out the truth. That's partly a consequence of the influence of postmodernist relativism, at least in the universities. And remember, you know, the very high proportion of the population now go to university. It's also, of course, the politicians, the populists. We have politicians who have no regard for the truth at all and just lie and lie and lie. And that has an influence on the great mass of people in society as well. Now, I realise it's not all down to historians to try and fix these problems, but what can historians do to try to take on these theories? Well, I've made a small attempt in my my book called The Hitler Conspiracies, which takes five conspiracy theories either about Hitler or uh, supposedly having influenced him. And I think if you investigate empirically, if you do the research, you go to the archives, you read the documents, uh, and you can show... Uh, also by the simply, uh, simple application of logic, really, and questioning, uh, that conspiracy theories are wrong. So I think the more historians who engage with conspiracy theories about the past seriously and reach a broader public with what they write, the better. That was Richard J. Evans. The Hitler Conspiracies, The Third Reich and the Paranoid Imagination was published in 2020 by Alan Lane. And that's all for this episode. But do join us next time when we'll be finding out why some people believe that aliens created some of the world's most famous ancient monuments. Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Jack Bateman. Listener.